The title of the message tonight is How We Fight Our Battles. So it's going to kind of go along with that song. But I'm going to begin here in Proverbs chapter 23. We've been kind of doing some verse by verse going through Proverbs. And the 15th verse says, My son, if your heart is wise, and my heart, then my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Yes, my innermost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things or right words. Now, Solomon expounds on what he's talking about in Proverbs 18, verse 21, when he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians, New Testament book, 5th chapter, 23rd verse, that says, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, here's what people need to understand. You need to understand that you are a hybrid being. It says that your spirit, soul, and body. For example, Hebrews chapter 1 says that he makes his angels spirits. Angels are spirits. Jesus said in John 4, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now, you are not God. You never will be. But you're the same type of a being that God is. God's a spirit. And the real you that lives inside a body is a spirit. You're the same class of a being in that way that an angel is. Because angels, it says, are spirits. But you also have a physical body. So you, with your spirit, you connect with the spiritual realm. And with your body, you connect with this physical realm. So really, you're a hybrid in that you function in two different worlds. You function in the natural world, but you also function in the spiritual world. And Jesus said, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, he said, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, Jesus is saying, your words are more than noise. In fact, the way that the spiritual realm works is it works through words. That's how it works. It works through words. Uh, when, when God created the world, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2, and the earth was or became void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. Some translations actually say, say that the, the world, that it was catastrophic and there was gross darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. And God said, what a mess. And God said, look how dark it is. I've never seen anything so dark in all my life. God did not say what he saw. God said what he wanted. And so in front of God is chaos. In front of God is darkness. But God doesn't say it's dark and it's chaotic. What God said is, let there be light. And there was light. And so, so literally, the way that God created what you and I see, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, that the things that are seen were created by things that are not seen. God created by speaking. 
How many of you like joyful days? If I were to ask, how do you have some joy? Obviously, you don't go to Myers to the joy aisle. Somebody would say, well, you know, you get some joy when, when you get a raise, when you get a vacation, when you get a promotion, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. You know, there'd be a lot of different answers about how we're going to get some joy. But the Bible does tell you, by the way, how to get some joy. And this is what it says. It says, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. Think about that. You have joy by the answer of your mouth. In other words, it's saying that your words are going to begin to shape your life. In Job 6 and verse 25, it says, how forceful are right words. How forceful are right words. In fact, in the New Testament, in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, there's a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a centurion. And uh, the Bible says that he's, he's praying. An angel comes and tells him to send men, send men to Joppa and bring back Peter, Simon Peter. And listen, it says, he will tell you words by which you and your house will be saved. How are they going to be saved? They're going to be saved by hearing and believing right words. Right words. When the children of Israel are coming to the promise, well, let, let's go back farther. Let's start. Let, let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. The children of Israel have been in Egypt for 430 years. There have been nine plagues. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, go tell the people, everybody, do this. On the 10th day of the month, every one of you take a lamb and bring it to your house. And keep that lamb until the 14th day of the month. And as the sun sets on the 14th day of the month, kill the lamb. Now, the New Testament tells us that that lamb represents Jesus. In the book of Corinthians, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So that Passover lamb, it's a type of Jesus. It's a picture of the innocent dying for the guilty. And to just maybe bring it home for some of you parents, I want you to imagine that you brought a lamb home to your house, a little lamb. The first day, the kids name the lamb. The second day, the kids are dressing up the lamb. The third day, they want the lamb to sleep in their bed. And by the fourth day, they have adopted the lamb. But the Bible says on the fourth day when the sun sets, you kill the lamb. Right? The innocent dying for the guilty. And in God said something very interesting about that lamb that represents Jesus. When the lamb died, was everything done or was there still something to do? Everything the lamb needed to do was done. But everything the people needed to do was not done. They needed to take that, that lamb's blood and catch it in a basin and stand in front of their house with that blood in the basin and put hyssop, a very common shrub in that part of the world, in the blood and strike the right side of their door, back in the blood, strike the left side of the door, back in the blood and strike above the door. And God said, wherever I see the blood, I will not allow the destroying angel to come in and do any harm. So when the lamb died, the lamb's part was done, but the people's part was not done. The people still needed to apply the blood. 
and nothing has changed. Jesus, our Passover lamb, he's been sacrificed for us. But it still falls on us to apply the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You know, our testimony needs to be what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. So the children of Israel come out. They go through the sea. They go through the desert. They arrive at the edge of the promised land, and Moses sends in 12 spies. The spies pass through the promised land for 40 days, and they come back, and they give their report. And one of the last places they, they went through is the Valley of Eschatol. Now, the Bible says that this place was so fertile. It says they cut down a cluster of grapes, and two men had to carry it but on a pole in between the two of them. Now, these were not like, these grapes must have been kind of like cantaloupe size, you know. You just cut it open, take the seed out, and there's a meal. They're big. In fact, uh, you go to Israel today, and they have a coin that's got that impression on it, and they've got a stamp with that impression on it. It's taken from the valley of Eschatol. Just like God said, flowed with milk and honey. But when they get back, they give the report. They said, the land where you sent us, it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They're showing off what they had brought back. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, they're strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Petzilites, and the Amorites, and all the other ites. They're in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along by the banks of the Jordan. And they said, and the people in that land, he said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and we are not able to go in and take possession. Caleb stands up, one of those 12 spies, and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people because they're stronger than us. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw are men of great stature. And then they go on and they talk about there, there were giants in the land, the descendants of Anak. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were. In their sight. Now, notice that they said, We can't. God said, I've given you the land. But they said, We cannot go in. We aren't strong enough. They're stronger than we are. And when they said that, God said, They gave a bad report. Now, listen, when God says you can and you say you can't, that is a bad report. That's a bad report. So the people listen to the ten who said, we can't go in. And they, they, they literally said, they said, let us go up at once. <laughs> Select a leader and let's go back to Egypt. But Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothes and they said, look, if God is for us, we can go up at once. But the people, they complained, they cried. They said, it would have been better to die in Egypt. It would be better to die in the desert. Now our wives and our children are going to become victims. And God said, Numbers 14, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Every one of you 
who complained against me will fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above. He said, everybody that complained, you're going to die. You said you cannot go in, you will not go in. He said, there's only two that are going to go in, Joshua and Caleb, because they said, let us go up at once and take possession. So over the next 40 years, everybody died except for Joshua and Caleb. Everybody who said we can't go in did not go in. The two who said we can go in, they went in and they took possession. The way we fight our battles is, number one, you fight your battles with words. When Satan came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus said, it is written. And then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. And then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. In fact, Jesus begins by saying this. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to listen. Jesus said that every word proceeded out of the mouth of God. In other words, the Bible was first a spoken thing. It proceeded where? Out of the mouth of God. It was first spoken. And then it was written. But the reason it was written was so that you could speak it. The reason it's written is so you can speak it. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Job 23 says, You will also declare or decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and so light will shine on your way. And when they cast you down, how many have been cast down? Am I the only one? And you say, but the Bible is telling you what to do when you're in trouble. When they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come, then he, God, will save, deliver the humble person. When you say, David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. In Isaiah 57, God said, I create the fruit of the lips. In Isaiah 59, God said, My word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your descendants, nor out of the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. In Joel, God said, Let the weak say, I am strong. Hebrews 13, 8, Therefore, we will boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Revelation 20, 20, 12, 11. And they, that's us, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony. Romans 10 and verse 8. But what does faith say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith which we preach. How many are getting an idea that God wants you to say something? In fact, in Romans chapter 8, when it talks about everything that can go wrong, this is what it says. And what shall we say to these things? And what shall we say to these things? You know, when trouble shows up, you're supposed to say something. The way that you fight your battles is by saying something. David's about 14 or 15 years old, and his father sends him down to the battlefront where the Philistines are. A couple of his older brothers are in the army, and He's brought some cheese and a little bit of bread. 
Maybe it was a pizza. I don't know. And when he got down there, there was a giant by the name of Goliath who came out. And he'd been coming out every morning and every night for 40 days. And he said, send me a man to fight with me. Now, this guy's about 10 foot tall, probably weighs about six, 700 pounds. He said, and if he can kill me, we'll all be your slaves. But if I kill him, well, then all of Israel will become our slaves. And the Bible said when the Israelites heard it, they were filled with fear. The whole army, even King Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. But when David heard that giant, something different happened on the inside of David. Now, the reason that David had a different response, it's really found in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. It's actually quoting David. This is what it says. Since we have the same spirit of faith. And it, it, it literally means the identical or the carbon copy. You get the identical spirit of faith. Since we have the same spirit of faith, this is what David said, I believed, therefore I spoke. Paul writes and says this, we also believe, therefore we speak. See, the spirit of faith has really two, only two components. Now, there is a believing component and there is a speaking component. He said, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. And by the way, when somebody has the spirit of faith, they just seem a little bit cocky. People that don't have it, they just don't, they just don't, they don't get it. But listen, Moses had the spirit of faith when he was 80. David had the spirit of faith when he was 14 or 15 years old. It doesn't have anything to do with how old you are. But when David heard that giant, he didn't get fearful. He got a little bit mad. And he said, what's going to happen for the guy that kills that giant anyway and takes this reproach away from Israel? And they said, well, first of all, he said, the king is going to enrich him greatly, going to give him lots of gifts. His whole family is going to be tax-free. And he gets to marry the king's daughter, and she's a knockout. David said, I'm in. I'll take care of it. Now, listen, when his brother, Elib, his older brother, heard, this is what the Bible says, Elib said to him, why have you come down here? I know the insolence in your heart. You've come down to watch the battle. And with who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You know what? David's attitude of faith made his brother mad. It made him mad. It, when you've got the spirit of faith, people that don't have the spirit of faith, listen, they get mad. They don't like it. And, and really, you can almost say it's an attitude. It's an attitude that God is going to see me through, and God is going to do what God said he would do. So David ends up in front of the king, and the king says, look, he's been a man of war since he's young, and you're just a kid. You can't go fight him. And David said, Listen, David did what he said. He said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Now, now by the way, used to was that morning. <laughs> He's giving himself a promotion right there. He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And a bear came and a lion came. He said, I grabbed him by the beard. He said, I smote him and I killed him. He said, your servant? Let's kill the lion, 
he's killed a bear. And this Philistine, he's going to be just like the lion and just like the bear. And Saul said, good luck. Really, that's basically what he said. Good luck. Go give it a shot. David went out to see the giant. And the Bible says when that giant saw him, the giant said, he said, you come against me with a stick? Do you think I'm a dog? He says, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed your body to the beast of the field. And David said, about that? What did David do? David said. Remember when Jesus fought, the de- fought with the devil? The devil said, Jesus said, devil said, Jesus said, devil said, Jesus said. And now the, the giant said, I'm going to kill you. And David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defiled. And today I will kill you and take your head from you. And I will give your body and that of the host of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel and he saves not by many, but by his spirit. And when David said that, the Bible said he put his hand in his pouch. He took a stone out, put it in his sling stock, and he ran towards the giant. So what that means is this. When you're in a spiritual battle, you never let the devil say the last thing. You run at your enemy with your mouth working. Now, you know that when, J- when David talked back to that giant, Goliath was shocked. You say, why? Because nobody had talked back to him since he was in the third grade. You know, when you're that tall, nobody's messing with you. But when you say something, it will shake the devil up. So David, his mouth's running. He throws that stone. He hits that giant in the head went over, took his sword, cut his head off, and the devil did not say anything else. The giant didn't say another word. So David used words to fight against that giant. Jesus used words to fight against the devil. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Christianity is a fight. It's a fight. And the Bible says you fight that good fight. Now, how do you do it? You do it with words. You do it by speaking what God has said about you. You you, you put yourself in agreement with God. Now, Jesus is staying at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the town of Bethany. Bethany is probably only three miles from Jerusalem. It's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And he gets up in the morning, and apparently they'd stayed up late the night before, and Mary and Martha, they slept in. Because as Jesus and his disciples, they climb the Mount of Olives, they're coming down, and uh, they'll just go down that mount. There's the little Kidron Valley, and just a little hill, maybe 200, 300 yards, and you're right there, you're in the Temple Mount where Jesus is going to preach. But he's hungry, and he sees a fig tree. And he goes up to the fig tree looking for figs. And the Bible says he finds none. And the Bible says he cursed the fig tree. Now, Jesus did not say, you blankety-blank-blank tree. When he cursed the fig tree, this is what he said. He said, no one ever eat fruit from you again forever. Now, I want you to think about this. Your words are powerful. 
The way that you bless is by speaking words. And the way that you curse is by speaking words. Well, they just kept right on going. They went into town, went into the Temple Mount. Jesus taught, the Bible says. They went back to the house of Mary and Martha that night. The next morning they get up and they pass by the tree. And the disciples notice that the tree has withered from its roots. And when they, they noticed that, they said, Jesus, look at the tree. Now, when Jesus spoke to the tree, something happened. But it wasn't physically visible until the next day. Then they noticed that that tree had begun to dry up right from its roots. And Jesus said to them, Mark 11, verse 22, he said, have faith in God. And then in verse 23, he said, for verily I say unto you. Some of you have a Bible translation that says, truly. I say to you, the thing that I think all of us know about Jesus is he always tells you the truth. So when he starts a conversation with you and says to you, I am going to tell you the truth, it means two things. The first one is he's going to tell you the truth. But the second one is you will not believe it. Jesus tells you right out. He said, now, I'm going to tell you something, and it's true. But when I tell you, you will not believe what I'm saying to you. So this is what Jesus said. He said, verily I say unto you, that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass. He will have whatsoever he saith. The first thing Jesus said about faith, is not what most of us would say. I know if, if you were to just do a survey and say, what is faith? We'd say, it's trust, it's confidence, it's believing. Those, that's what faith is. And, and I think all of those are good answers. But that's not how Jesus answered his disciples when they asked him about faith. When Jesus' disciples asked him about faith, this is what Jesus said. First thing, he said, whosoever will say to this mountain. So here's what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, the first thing that your faith will ever move is your mouth. And if your faith does not move your mouth, your faith will never move a mountain. Faith works for whosoever will say. Whosoever will say. So all you need to do to be disqualified is say nothing. Say nothing. And I've had people say this, well, I believe just like that. Yeah, but it doesn't work for just whosoever believes. It works for whosoever will say. Faith has a believing component, the spirit of faith, but it also has a confessing component. Again, Romans 10 in verse 8, but what does faith say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith, which we speak. So Jesus begins talking about faith, talking about how you fight a battle by saying, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, that little word there at the end, saith, is the Greek word lego, L-E-G-O. All grandparents know about legos. We all do. 
all right, because our grandkids love Legos. All my grandkids do, but especially my grandson, Tristan. He lives out in Grand Haven. Now, a few years ago, because he loves Legos, for Christmas, you know, we went to, so I don't know if it was Toys R Us, we went someplace, and, and uh, man, I was surprised how many different Lego things you could get. Right? I'm looking, some of them are in boxes, some of them are in cylinders, and, and I ended up getting a fire engine and a couple other things, wrapped them up, give them to Tristan on Christmas morning. Well, you know, five-year-old tears the stuff apart, right? There's the box. There's the picture on the box. And he tears open the box. And lo and behold, what is on the picture is not in the box. Yeah, there's just a bunch of little square things in there, right? But listen, everything needed to make the picture on the box was in the box. But what he had to do was he had to Lego. The Greek definition of the word Lego is your set systematic discourse. What you say, what you tell, what you declare to others. Jesus says you'll have whatsoever you Lego. He's saying, the way that you fight your battle, the way you move that mountain, the way that giant comes down is you begin to say, you say, and 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 you just keep on putting those pieces of victory together until you bring about the victory that you see on the inside. The word of faith, it's near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. Even the word of faith which we preach. There is a miracle in your mouth. It's in your mouth. And now notice Jesus, he said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Your set, systematic discourse. What you say, what you tell, what you declare to others. So let me close with this. If Jesus had added two words, just two words to this verse, every Christian would have victory. If Jesus had just said, you will have whatsoever you say in church. Because in church, everybody says the right thing, don't they? Oh, yeah, I'm healed, I'm delivered, provision, deliverance, hallelujah, mountains moving in church. But you don't get what you say in church. You get what you say in the car on the way home. But you say at Starbucks, at school, when you're at the gym, when you're talking with your friends and your family, you just don't get what you say in church. You get your set systematic discourse, which you say, which you tell, which you declare. Right? The way we fight our battles. The way we fight our battles is with words. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 17, he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say. If you had faith, you would say. You would say. You would say. Uh, uh, the Rothermath translation is if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would be saying. You would be saying. In the Young's translation, I love this. If you had faith as a grain of mustard, you would have said. You would have said. They've got all three tenses in there. You'd be saying. You would have said. You would say. It's, it, it's, it's there. It's just saying you would have said it. You'll be saying it. And you're going to keep on saying it. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. It's in Proverbs where Solomon said, If you faint in the day of adversity, 
How small is your strength? If you faint in the day of adversity, it's because your strength, your faith, it's small. Faith is not just for good days. Faith is for bad days. It's for Mondays. It's for taking out giants. It's for taking out mountains. Whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, as we close, I'd like for us to make a couple of confessions. Right? So can I lead you in a few confessions tonight before we go? All right. I want you to repeat this. I'm a part of the body of Christ. Satan has no power over me. I overcome evil with good. I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your word, your spirit, they comfort me. I'm far from oppression and fear does not come near me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. My righteousness is of the Lord. Whatever I do prospers. And I'm like a tree planted by rivers of water. Great is the peace of my children. And they are taught of the Lord. Let me give you a few more. I don't think we're done yet. Psalms 103 says this. It says, he forgives all my iniquities and he heals all of my diseases. My God leads me in triumph in every situation. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin and defilement of the flesh. I overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed going out. And blessed is the fruit of my body and the work of my hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, if you're here tonight, but you're not right with God, you're away from the Lord, or you do not know where you stand with God, the Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. Many people go through life and think, when I die, I'll find out if I'm, if I'm a Christian, I'll find out if I make it to heaven. But the Bible says to know. You need to know you're forgiven, right with God, on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. And if you need to get right with God today, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to lift your hand. And we're going to pray together. And God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to take a step into the kingdom of God. Your past is going to be gone, forgiven, on your way to heaven. And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're going to say to God you're saying this. You're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. 
As you lift that hand, you're saying tonight, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, this is my day of salvation. I'm receiving Jesus. I'm giving all my heart and life to him. He's going to come in. He's going to make me new. He's going to forgive me. I'm going to be a part of God's family on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. Are there others? Thank you. In the back, God bless you. Another here, another there. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Would everyone please just take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray together with those that lifted their hands. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.